Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Welcome and thank you all for coming. Um, and I'm a little embarrassed by the introduction Brajavihari gave. It's very, um, I find it a little uh, intimidating to be speaking before all of you who are... Um, uh, much more uh, practiced and, and qualified. Many of you uh, have much to teach me, so please pray for me that I can say something enlivening to all of you. Um, Ananda Vrindavan was scheduled to give this talk, and, and her plans changed, so she asked me, can you give the talk? I was going to speak about endings, and um, I thought, yeah, I can work with that. I've had... Um, several endings in my life, some of which uh, haven't gone so well, or rather the ending was because things weren't going so well. So I said, yeah, I can talk about that. I have some realization. Um, so let me get this thing um, fired up. Home again, Tarandasya. I guess uh, just to start, uh, I would like to offer my obeisances to my spiritual master who saved my life, and I'd like to offer my obeisances to all of you, who your enthusiasm and um, uh, and dedication to come every week and um, worship Krishna is very enlivening to me. So thank you very much. So if I ask you to complete this sentence, uh, Mike's not horrible. If I ask you to complete this sentence, um, what would, how would you complete this sentence? Palika. Endings are not complete. Endings are not complete. Temporary, so that's very similar. Endings are beginnings. So there's, yes, this is, um, sounds similar to the other two. That's good. Yes. Everything always ends at some point. What, what was it George Harrison said? Uh, all things must pass. Which is... Um, anyone else? New beginning. Open? Endings are open. So these are good. So I think I can stop now because you've already understand everything I was going to talk about. So endings generally can be final. Generally, when I hear the word, it's over, it's ending, I think, oh, that's it, done, bas, finished. So would anyone contradict, like, would you argue with it? We could say endings can be very final sometimes. Yes? Endings can be scary. This looks a little scary to me. (laughs) I had another picture I was going to show, and I thought, no, it's not scary enough. i Pick this one because it was a little scarier. Because endings can definitely be, they make us nervous. However, if you're at the, in a tunnel, whenever I go to New York, which isn't often, but usually you have to go under one of the tunnels, and I'm always quite happy, even in Baltimore I think there's a tunnel. When I get to the end and I see the light, I'm like, okay, I can relax now. The tunnel's over, I'll be out. So the end of a tunnel or the end of something bad, the end of some painful period, can be quite welcome. Yes, let that end come. Soon, please. 
And as many of you said, endings are new beginnings, right? As we understand transmigration of the soul, the, the soul is eternal, it moves on, it leaves one body, it takes a new, another body. So we're going to unpack all of these and start with this linear concept of time, which is uh, something has uh, a start right, and an end. Uh, any of you who work in uh, IT or practically any industry, you've probably seen these Gantt charts that every, you manage everything out. And I, I'm not the most organized person. I have trouble with these because you make your, the well-laid plan and you've got all your dates and it never goes according to schedule. But it's fun to try and, and it's important to have some goals in mind. But there's a start and a finish, right? Generally, this linear concept. Something starts here, and it ends here, and then, and then it's over. Right? I'm, I'm not a big uh, sports fan, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't help to put a picture of the end zone because it's interesting here. Uh, they call it the end zone. They also call it the, uh, the goal. I think hockey, other sports, have this concept of a goal, right? So it's, it's the end, which is a finite sin of starting and finish, but... The goal is to reach that end. You want to get there quickly. That's the whole goal. So I thought that was interesting to, uh, when we think the end is scary, and then we think, well, what is the goal? Sometimes the end and the goal are, are the same thing, and it helps us see, well, maybe it's not so scary. So I'm going to take you on a little journey here. When I was young, I lived on the West Coast, and every summer my father would rent a big, some kind of a camper van, or, or, and we'd go on a trip. So we'd look at the map and see where we want to go, and we go find a map, and back then they didn't have GPSs, uh, the computers on your phone or in your car, you used old-fashioned maps. So you'd get a map, figure out where we're going to go. We'd hit the road, start driving. Fortunately, I was too young to drive, so I could just uh, ride along, and sometimes the camper was big enough to play in the back. We'd see um, all these nice sites where we're going. We'd think, well, this is nice, but we're not getting where we're supposed to. We'd get the map out and say, well, are we lost? Are we going the right way? Um, and I kind of miss the old days with the maps up across the dashboard, and the driver would say, put the map down. I can't see the road, and I'm kind of dating myself here, but this is what life used to be like. Now everything's GPS. The car just tells you where to go. You can't do, I don't even know how to read directions anymore. I just say, tell me where to go. I, don't, I can't calculate. You get to your destination. You have fun. You do whatever you came to do. Um, hiking, uh, camping, etc. You hit the road, and then you go back home, and you've completed your journey. Right? So that's the end. It's the end of a trip, but now you have something. So it, it may be uh, this linear concept of, okay, it's over. And sometimes there's a little sense of, um, well, we don't want to go home. We want to just stay, because when you're um, a kid and you're going camping, it means no school, no work, no chores. You can just relax and play, and you don't want that to end. You want to just uh, stay up here the whole rest of your life, of course, not knowing what it's like in these places in winter. As a child, you're thinking it's always going to be wonderful. But a part of you is, like, tired and ready to be home. So now you have this unit of experience, this, this chapter, uh, right? Um, and in each one of these journeys, right, each ending, as you can see in this line, the purple line, it has a start and a finish. And the end of one purple line, what do you have? The start of another one, right? So you have this sense of, of each ending as a new beginning. And some of you had mentioned that in the, earlier. So then you put all these little chapters together, and you have 
Uh, that's what a book is, right? Many chapters. You put together this start and ending, and this start and ending, and this start, and you end up with a story. You end up with this larger uh, experience, uh, this larger understanding of things. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, now, if for some reason, just be, I couldn't use a quarter because they're too ordinary, so I found an ancient uh, a coin from, um, I think it was, I don't know, one or 2,000 years ago in India. And uh, if, I, if you all have coins in your pocket, you look at the coin and you think one side is the ending, the other side is the beginning, and I say, well, I just want the beginning, I don't want the ending. Does that work? You can't have one without another. Huh? Half the time, yes. Um, and so the point is, when we say ending and beginning, you can't separate the two, really. When something ends, something else has to begin. They're, they're really just two sides of a coin. Another way to think about endings are stepping stones, right? I need this thing. I, you could try. Now, this is a fairly peaceful-looking creek. We might be able to cross it without the stepping stone. If it were a little more rigorous, we would, we would need something. And so the point here is a phrase I read in a book many years ago. Stepping stones over time turn to lagging weights of fear when it comes time to act because there is just something else to lose. What does that mean? Something that can help us to move forward. Eventually, we may have to give that thing up to move forward further. But from where we are, we need the first three, four stones. And when we get to the fourth one, the first one doesn't help us. We have, we, if we just stand on it, we're not going to cross the river. So... The endings, we need endings. We need things to, to, to be able to move forward. Another way to think about this um, is, this isn't so much stepping stones, but I think some of you touched on this, that it, some things need to just, okay, they've lived their life. They're worn out. They need to, we need to make way for new growth. I find it fascinating in this dynamic. I worked in the computer software industry uh, for many years, and there would be a piece of software. One of, my, uh, one of my bosses used to say, every day, does anyone here, a developer, writes code for a living? So he would say, every day you come in and write legacy code. So for those of you who don't write software, legacy code is a bad thing. It's generally not good. It's all dirty, full of bugs, and you want to get rid of it, or you want to rewrite it. And so he'd say every day, and I, I got kind of discouraged, thinking, well, what do you mean? No, this is fresh, brand new. And he's, no, every day you're writing legacy code. Because over time, the situation changes, requirements change, application change. You need to go back and, and change that. So what I found fascinating was the company would, whether you buy software or build software, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as you get an application that meets your needs. But you would in year one. And I, went, I saw this cycle several times. Every two, three years, uh, my, my uh, basic um, belief, understanding, experience, that no matter what kind of company you are, every three years you want to replace your CMS, your content management system, just whether you need to or not. It's just something executives like to do. But more importantly, you start with a piece of something. It doesn't matter if it's software or a building or a car, whatever it is. You start with it and it serves your purpose, it's fine. And after some time, it doesn't serve your purpose anymore because it doesn't go fast enough. Uh, it gets too old. Uh, it's a computer. The battery dies. The hard drive crashes. Whatever it may be. But in the software, in, in the software context, you would write some code. You'd have application. works great. And two or three years later... You, everybody agrees, no, we need this other thing, this works better, it's faster. And usually at that point, 
there's a common thread you hear that everybody starts bad-mouthing the thing before it. Oh, that thing was horrible. That was too slow. No, we need something new. And this is, it just, it strikes me as very interesting because for one, two, three years, whatever length of time, that served a purpose. Now, the purpose is you need something else. So you need to replace it. That's fine. Change is there. But it doesn't mean what you had before is worthless. So in other words, we, this is my backyard. I need to tear out these weeds. Oh, these worthless weeds have to go. Well, they served a purpose the year before. This is, you know, herbs and vegetables and nice flowers. And so just because, some, just because it's time for something to end doesn't mean that thing was bad its whole life is, is the point. You have to be, understand transitions. So this whole... Um, I don't know. I hope this relates to the talk. I thought it did when I put these in here. I guess I just am too puffed up and proud of my garden. But this is a shot of my garden a week ago. And it's old and you could say dead. It's not doing anything. But I had to clear all these weeds out to make it look like this. So in the spring, I can have this. Right? And so the point is we need endings to clear out the cruft so that we then have a fresh platform to to do the new thing, whatever the new thing is, new growth, new experience, new uh, new beginnings, as we said. So that's that whole uh, kind of uh, linear concept. Now in this, we talked about the little chapters and the story. Uh, you could think of each one of those uh, little chunks as being a, a, a trip, and you put them together and you have this big uh, whole book or story. Um, but sometimes um, it's nice to understand where is this all going? Am I... Am I a, formulating and connecting the right types of chapters. Is the story going to end well, or is the story going to end bad? Right? Sometimes we can't know, but sometimes we like to know. We'd like to, we, we all like, does anyone want to think that they're on the wrong path, going in the wrong direction? Uh, that would happen sometimes uh, back here. When we were driving and driving and driving and driving and driving, we'd think, oh, oh, we missed the turn, and now we have to go back 100 miles because we're trying to get here. Right? So uh, nobody wants to go in the wrong direction. You want to know, well, are all these stories that I'm creating um, amounting to something? Is my life going to go somewhere? Am, am I going to be successful in the end? And so uh, for those of us who have this question, this is kind of the beginning of spiritual life, who am I, where am I going, why am I here, what's the point of it all, this is spiritual life, this is when spiritual life starts. So fortunately, in the Bhagavad Gita, which Krishna spoke to Arjuna 5,000 years ago, the very first verse is very interesting, if you look very, very closely, right? Um, uh, Dhritarashtra is asking Sanjaya who can see this battlefield and, and he says to him you know after my sons are there and the sons of Panu are uh, gathered there in this place of pilgrimage Dharmasetra this place, I put in green the, the, the main highlights Dharmasetra is a place of pilgrimage Kuruksetra is a name for that place so they're both referring to the same place and Dhritarashtra who was the grandfather of everyone assembled to fight he said what what happened? What did they do? And, it, and it's kind of a silly question. These are warriors lined up on both sides, spears, arrows, and weapons ready to fight. What do you think they're going to do? They came there to fight. So it's a little bit of a silly question. But he asked, and it's very telling here. Right? This is the very first verse of Bhagavad Gita, 1.1. Dharma Shetra, it's a place of pilgrimage. And Krishna is there with Arjuna. The Supreme Lord is there at a place of pilgrimage. Now, why do people go to places of pilgrimage? 
to get purified. Why? Because it's a holy place. So you're in a holy place with the most holy personality. So Dhritarashtra could sense something, this is not going to go well. But it's foretold from the spiritual, from a, a spiritualist or a devotee's perspective, this verse is very telling right there. The first line, Dhritarashtra Vacha, is just as Dhritarashtra said. So, so you could say, well, that's just setting up the speaker. So you could say the very first line of the Bhagavad Gita, 700 verses, tells you how it's going to end. This place of pilgrimage they assemble. Well, God's there. It's a place of pilgrimage. Obviously, it's going to go in favor of the Supreme Lord. So Deuterostra knew that. So the point is, we're trying to understand what's the ultimate goal. So we, we go to the Bhagavad Gita for some uh, direction, how to live our life, how to uh, solve our problems. And right there, in the very first verse, it's like, look, it's going to be okay. Uh, a couple of verses later, um, in the same chapter, uh, Krishna, I'll just read this, because I, I, to me it's a little dramatic. Um, Lord Krishna blew his conch shell called Pankajaya, um, Pankajanya. Arjuna blew his, the Devadatta, and Bhima, the voracious eater and performer of a Herculean task, blew his terrific conch shell called Pondra. The following of these different conch so there's a, I'm skipping a couple of verses. It lists a whole a number of other conch shells that were blown. The blowing of these different conch shells became uproarious, vibrating both in the sky and on the earth. It shattered the hearts of the sons of Dhritarashtra. Dhritarashtra, again, was the one before asking that question. And so here, again, we're in the very beginning of the battle, and it's clear to, to one who has spiritual vision um, we, we hear the conch blow when we do the RT, right? And this conch, basically, it represents, it's a very sacred sound vibration. Um, many pastimes of how it's purified uh, atmospheres and houses and gotten rid of ghosts and different things. It's a very potent sound vibration. We blow it at the beginning of RT, basically saying, okay, darkness, material energies, go away. We're going to worship the Lord. You have no business here. And so that's the, the meaning uh, in a simple form of this blowing. So Krishna, Arjuna, they blew this conch shell. So the point is, in the very beginning of the battle, you can see, okay, we know how this is going to end. But it hasn't even started yet. So I'm going to jump to the end of the Bhagavad Gita, almost the end, one of the very last verses. And it says here, wherever there is Krishna, the master of mystics, and wherever there is Arjuna, the supreme archer, there will also certainly be opulence, victory, extraordinary power, and morality. That is my opinion. Right? So Sanjaya is predicting the outcome, again, of the Bhagavad Gita. Remember, the whole Bhagavad Gita was spoken before the battle started. The Bhagavad Gita discussion ends. Krishna ends his, his discussion with Arjuna, and then the battle takes place. And out of... Um, all these millions of people assembled, just a handful. You could count on one hand, two hands, I think it was eight people total survived. Everyone else was finished. But the whole thing was here, before, it, before the battle even starts, it's being described, Krishna's here, Arjuna's here, victory is here. So what's the point of this is to understand this. Um, while we may be seeing individual Pick, an, pick a, a, a time period, a day, a month, a year, a decade. Pick a portion of your life, and you may wonder where it's all going because this year doesn't look so good. We can take, take comfort that, no, Krishna's saying that if 
Krishna is present, if I'm thinking of him, if I'm worshiping him, if I'm remembering him, I'm trying to understand him, then things will work out in the end. This can be very useful if you've ever experienced a low point in your life. Uh, and if you, if you haven't, you're very fortunate. But if you have, they can be a little um, worrisome. They can, be, uh, they can be downright unpleasant sometimes. And we think, you know, how am I going to get out of this one? This is not well. So that's the linear conception. It merged a little bit at the end. Now we'll get into the cyclical. We talked about that of beginnings and endings and things. Uh, this uh, nature of endings, right? So, uh, just to summarize, in the linear world, an ending has a uh, there's an event has a beginning and it has an end, and you can stack them together to create larger, uh, interesting uh, things. But but there's, now we're going to talk about the cyclical nature. So this picture is a picture of the Rathyatra in London, 1969, the first time they did Rathyatra in London. Um, and uh, Shama Sundar built this cart, and uh, things didn't go so well. Prabhupada was very happy, they were very enthused. There were six devotees, uh, householders, I think some other devotees by this time had come to help them. Uh, but basically, they lived for a year in London. Uh, this was before. I'm not sure if they had met the Beatles at this point. They may have met him, but it was uh, the devotees basically lived for a year with no money, and they were scrabbling things together to trying to find a place to live. Somehow, they pulled together uh, the the funds to build this cart, and they're all quite happy. And uh, not long after it started, I don't know if it was one block or three blocks, but it wasn't long after it started, the cart broke down. Wheel fell off, finished. And so the Rathyatra basically finished with the devotees going in Harinam. And they had a permit for a couple of hours to block off this main street. So now the devotees, some, they were planning to roll the cart to the end and then put it in the truck and take it back. Well, now they had to dismantle it and get it off the main street within the permit time that they had. So it was, they did not consider it a very wonderful experience, at least Shama Sundar and Makunda and Jamuna considered it a somewhat of a colossal failure. Um, however, when Prabhupada heard about it, I'll just read a couple of statements that when he heard. Uh, at this point, this was just a day or two, he didn't have all the details, but he heard Gurudas sent a letter, and the letter wasn't complete, so it, it started to tell the story. And, and I think either a page got missing or something happened. So Prabhupada didn't have all the details, but he could understand, okay, it doesn't sound like it was a picture-perfect festival. Uh, so the first letter he wrote to Jamuna, um, regarding the collapsing of the wheels during Rathiatra ceremony, that does not matter. Immediately he just kind of... And then he wrote another letter. Um, so that letter I just wrote was in August. Then in, in September, uh, about a month later, he, he wrote another letter. He says, you all three couples are expert, in the, referring to Gurdas, Jamuna, Devi, uh, Shamasundra Malati, uh, Makunda and Janaki, Makunda uh, Das and Janaki. So, you all three couples are expert in the matter of preaching Krishna consciousness, and your last effort in the matter of performing Rathyatra festival was so successful. And they were like, they were happy that he wasn't calling them a failure, but in their minds, it wasn't so successful. Uh, this is just a, another letter he wrote to Gurudas. Um, at the same time, he basically fired off letters to all of them, all three couples. He wrote to 
Jiminaguri wrote to Mukundi wrote to Shamsundar. So this uh, letter to Gurudas, he says, as in the material world, sometimes a failure. Uh, he said, first of all, let me back up. He, he talked a little bit about, he acknowledged that there were some engineering and mechanical defects probably in the planning and building of it. So he was very forthcoming. You know, he said, said the load was heavier than the wheels could carry, so um, there's some mistake in engineering. So he acknowledged, okay, it didn't, you, you didn't go well. But then his very next statement, he says, um, the load was heavier. He said, so there is no question of being disappointed. Even if the festival was not properly performed, you should not be discouraged. As in the, as in the material world, sometimes failure is considered a pillar of success. Similarly, in the spiritual order, also the same principle can be applied. So don't be disappointed. Maybe Krishna's desire is something higher in this connection. So he immediately, Prabhupada had this long-range vision. He immediately saw, oh, this little thing. No, we just, we, Krishna has some plan. So they are getting consoled by this point because they had felt like it was a pretty big disaster. And then the last snippet here is from a letter to Shamasundar. Um, he said, I received one letter from Gurdas, which was not very encouraging. He told me about the difficulty that was had in performing the Rathiatra festival. The purport of my letter is that there's no cause for any disappointment. And then he immediately jumps on just talking about Jamasimi and other festivals. So Prabhupada's already over. He's like, okay, this is, this is not a big deal. So Krishna helps us to understand that in the Bhagavad Gita. He mentions, I'm the super soul. I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end. So what happened, and the reason I, I wanted to share that story, is how do we say, well, okay, I'm the beginning, the middle, of the end. Well, that beginning, middle, end didn't work out so well. That was year one. That was the first year. And the devotees really... Um, struggle to gather support because here there are these three Westerners in London. London's a very, um, uh, what's the phrase, buttoned up place. You dress properly, you speak properly, and here they are wearing their she yellow sheets and shaved heads and creating a scene. And so the Londoners didn't know what to think of them. After that event, people's heart went out. They said, oh, these poor people, they're trying so hard and it completely failed. Let's help them. So the next year when they did Rathiatra, they had no problem getting donations, getting help. People gave them lumber. People helped them build. And it was, it was, it stand over the, uh, the, when on, on Tittenhurst Drive, there's a statue of Lord, um, I forget his name. Um, and Prabhupada was very, very happy because it made a huge impression. It was a nice festival. And it happened because the previous year, things didn't go so well. And so all the, the, the few congregational members they had, the few people that had heard about the Hare Krishnas, their hearts went out and they're saying, these kids are trying so hard, they need some help. Let's help them. And so uh, there was a, 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 a huge influx of not just financial support and moral support, but just a camaraderie. And, and so it really launched the London. They met the Beatles, uh, and then that so much came from that, and George Harrison. And so Krishna, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So Krishna was arranging things in a certain way. So it's a nice sense of this. Endings, don't take an ending at face value, because there may be something else. So in this cyclical understanding uh, this is a wheel from the the Konark Sun Temple in, in India near Pori. 
And this uh, Sanskrit word samsara, cycle of birth and death. That's how the Vedas talk about, you know, ancient literatures talk about, there's no real such thing as an ending, it's just a cycle. Uh, just like we saw the pictures of the, the weeds in the fall and the new growth in the spring, everything's just cycles. What in the, in the Western, uh, the Bible, they say there's um, a season, um, and I've forgotten the verse, I used to know it, um, there's a time for everything. Every season has its place. It's a nice verse from the Psalms. And every season there is a time, something like that. And they made a song out of it in the 60s. But basically, it's this, um, this understanding that there's no beginning, there's no end. It's just things rotate through different stages. And again, that's the concept we read about. I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end. Uh, this photograph has nothing to do with my talk, but I put it in here because it's a picture of a snowflake, and if you go to Google and search Wheel of Time, you'll find this. And I thought, well, it does look like a wheel, and it's kind of pretty. So, and there's a verse, Rasohama Psukunte, Krishnam, the taste of water. So I thought, well, I'll just... And it is seasonal. So, right, snowflakes don't come in the summer. So I thought, well, okay, why not? So who can tell me if this is a sunset or a sunrise? I don't, I don't see any takers. It's Panama, it can be both. That's a very good point. If you're on the equator, yes, there's a hand back here. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. If you ask the, um, I'm not sure what, what they're called, a, um, astrophysicists. If, if you ask the experts, uh, and I haven't exhaust, researched this exhaustively, um, but scientifically, you can't actually tell because it, it may look like there's more light. They'll say like at nighttime, the city activity and the pollutants die down so that it's clear in the morning and things like that. The one way to tell is after this point, the sun sets at a certain angle and certain rises. Unless you're on the equator, then it's straight and you're, and it's, you're going to be in trouble. But basically, it's, it's very hard to tell. The light may change due to environmental factors. What about this one? Is this any easier? Sunrise, everybody says. I'm not convinced. Why can it not be a sunset? Okay, so for those of you who are very confident this is a, a sunrise, you'll be able to answer this one. Is this a sunrise or a sunset? What's the problem? It's the same sun. It's the same earth. It's a Mars rise. So... So what's the point here? From these, from the point of where we are, a sunrise or a sunset may look like a certain thing. But from the point of reality, from the sun's point, there's no rise, no setting. So that puts endings in a whole different perspective, right? We think of an ending in relation to us. But when we think of um, beginning, middle, end, from Krishna's perspective, where's the ending and where's the beginning? Right? It's just, it's a cycle. At any point, we call it something. But um, So I hesitated to put this in here, but I, I was feeling um, envious. The Indian culture is so rich. You grow up with stories about Mahabharata and Ramayana and all these scripture and pastimes. And in the West, we don't have that. I mean, we have Christianity, but we don't have this deep, rich culture. I thought, we do too. We have, I'll betcha, 
For any of you who have grown up in the West, you'll recognize this picture. <laughs> and for those of you who don't recognize it, this is a cultural icon in America, at least for those of us who aren't 15 or a little older. Uh, this is the Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. So why am I putting this in here? She went on a journey, and the, the, this tornado came and, and took her house and, and plopped her uh, far away from home, and she went on this whole adventure to try to get back home. And some things were nice. She met some nice friends who were there with her. She met a guru who was there with her, and the gurus. Finally, she got, well, this is all nice, and you're nice people, but I want to go home. This adventure is not fun anymore. And so in this picture, the princess behind her is telling her, you've actually had the means to go home the whole time. It's just right there on your feet. She had these beautiful red shoes, and her shoes were shimmering. And the whole adventure, all the demons and evil people were trying to steal her shoes because they were very valuable. And so she said, what did she say to her? How did she tell her to get home? There's no place like home. There's no place. Tap your shoes three times and just close your eyes and repeat this mantra. What's the mantra? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then she woke up and she was back in her home with her parents. She'd actually never left. She was just in a fever the whole time. It was a nice adventure. So that's what we grew up with. When all of you who grew up with uh, Mahabharata and all these wonderful things, at least we got a mantra at the end, although it <laughs> took me another 20 years to learn the real mantra. Um, and so this mantra is there. And the interesting thing is, is in this mantra, this Hare Krishna Maha mantra, it's both the means and the end. You hear that a lot. What does that mean? It's what we do to, to uh, return home. It's what we do to remove this material covering, to end our material nightmare. It's, it's what we do on the journey. It creates the journey and facilitates the journey, etc. And it's also what we do at the end. Because the residence, when you're in the spiritual consciousness, when you're in the spiritual world, what do you do? You glorify the Supreme Lord. You chant songs glorifying Krishna's qualities. Uh, and so we also have this mantra which can help us to transform our uh, endings into new beginnings. So um, I'm torn now. I guess we'll, I'll try it one way. We'll see how it goes. I wanted to get some input from all of you as to... Um, if you want to share, or at least think about what endings have happened in your life, either this year or think back to times when some, some ending that you thought wasn't so good, but it actually made way for something else. Um, or what endings need to happen, that you're holding on to something that you know you should let go of it, but it's comfortable and, and it's very hard to let go of something. It's like the child that has a quarter you tell them to let go of it because you're going to give them a dollar and they laugh at you. Oh, this dollar, I can burn it, I can tear it, it's paper. This gold coin or this quarter, this, this is real. And, and then they get a certain age to understand, oh, the dollar's four times as much, I'll take it. But sometimes we hold on to things, we don't want to let go of them, thinking they're so valuable. But, but we, uh, how do you catch a monkey? You put some food in a jar and the monkey grabs it and you won't let go of it and and so we hold on to things that uh, we should let go of. And thirdly, what things that you um, need or would like to begin, uh, but there's either something in the way or for some reason you can't do it. So what, 
would we can break into groups and discuss, or you could just raise your hand and answer this if anyone would like to share. Yes, a question back. Um, I hate to mention this thing I have done before, but uh, my, the recent event uh, in the last three years or so um, have been very enlightening uh, to me and my life and to my family. Um, my uh, beloved wife, uh, who was with me for over 50 years, and um, in the last three years or so, uh, she suffered a lot uh, with cancer and all that. Uh, every day, every minute, every second, uh, we thought that we, she would pull through, pull through and pull through. Uh, we left no stone unturned to make sure she get the best coming. And during that process, I kind of forgot that here I was asking Lord Krishna and God to give us another day, another moment, another to and during that loss, because I was with her and I forgot that there, there is going to be end. Mm. And never thought beyond that end. Well, unfortunately, that end came and gone. Um, then, after that, the reality, the new beginning started, new reality started. The love, the real love. It wasn't the physical love, material love. It was love. I never knew that I had it for her. And despite of our cultural difference, despite of our religious difference, despite of our language difference, and yes, she was there, I was there together. Um, and I didn't know the love as people throw, I love my car, I love my this. What is love? And that is infinite uh, word and phrase. And I do feel it now that I didn't know how much I really loved her like a gravitational force. And I really did. And that was the incident in my life. Um, and I told my son uh, a couple of days ago, around Christmas time, that for me, your mom is immortal as long as I'm living. She's going to be there and beyond that. Mm, Thank nice. you for <laughs> Hare Krishna. Thank you for sharing. It's a very, uh, very profound realization experience there. It's a very good example of what we're talking about. Something that looks like a, an ending, a scary ending, turns out to be um, you, you see and realize and learn so much more from it um, after it's passed. Anyone else? Have an ending that they would like to share or something? Yes. Uh, we, you, your microphone is just now coming. Thank you. Would it be correct to say that uh, the spiritual world has no beginning or end and the material world does? Right? That yeah, that would absolutely be, absolutely be correct. Um, in fact, I was thinking to add that uh, right around this point. There's a couple other points, but then I thought, no, that's actually a whole other discussion So we'll, uh, that we could do in the future. But yes, it's absolutely correct. In the spiritual world, everything is the, the, 
eternal present moment. Time does not, time, what's the phrase time? Um, conspicuous by its absence, something? It's, there's no time in the spiritual world. Um, everything's new and fresh. And the material world is all about time. Uh, so yes, that's um, very true. So one last thing um, before we um, go into uh, open this up is um, I can't, I still have all these uh, anarthas of impressions I got when I was raised and this one came from the, my pre-devotee days. Um, and this was a lyric from one of their songs that has stuck with me. It's not over till it's over because we think the endings are scary. We don't want them to come. What if I get it wrong? For many years in my spiritual life and devotional life, I was terrified to do, make the wrong choice. Krishna, well, that's it. My spiritual life, if I don't do everything right, then I'll fail my spiritual life. Krishna will reject me and, and I'll, I'll fall down or fall away. I'll have to start all over. And so I was like really nervous. And I learned over time that you, know, you just get back up and if, if, you don't, if you get the test wrong and if it's a good teacher, he'll just... He'll explain it in another way, and he'll give you another test, and he'll explain it in another way, and he'll, he'll just keep doing that until you pass the test. And I learned, well, Krishna's actually very kind, and then I started being a little less fearful. Probably I should be more fearful because I'm, I'm too lackadaisical. But this struck with me. Uh, fortunately, I, I don't have to let go of it completely because we have a spiritualized version of the same concept. Right there in Bhagavad Gita. There's no such thing as an ending, to, to your point. In the spiritual world, there's no... Ending means over. Bas, finished. Well, Krishna says no. That will never happen. And that's the end of my talk. <laughs> so... We have some, some time um, for questions. Yes, Polika, microphone. Hare Krishna. This is simple. You you mentioned that we blow the conch shell at the beginning of the Arctic, but I never knew why until I heard you say that. But why do we blow it at the end of the Arctic? Why do you always ask such difficult questions? Because I, I don't know the answer, so I'm generally asking. Um, I don't know, maybe there's a pundit here who knows. I would uh, guess for the same reason. It's a purifying... I'll tell you one story about the conch, and I don't know if this will answer your question, but it'll give a diversion. So the, we mentioned the Beatles and Prabhupada and Shama Sundar. They were staying at Tittenhurst, John Lennon's estate, and there was a gardener. A very famous story most of you have probably heard. There was a ghost affecting the gardener, the groundskeeper, and they couldn't get any sleep. And so they asked the devotees, you know, can you help us? And, and the devotees asked Shri Prabhupada to explain the situation. He said, ask them to leave for the day, uh, which they did, which was a little hard because it was rainy. They took their coats and they, they went and hung out somewhere. He said, go in there, blow the conch and have kirtan. Just chant and blow the conch. And he specified both. There's another pastime that Prabhupada had in a factory younger in his life, which is why he knew this worked because his workers wouldn't come in. Uh, the workers wouldn't come to work because they were ghosts. And so they did the same thing. And so, uh, so he said, for six or eight hours, just come in all day, have kirtan, blow the conch. So they did that. They had kirtan. They went in all the rooms, blew the conch. 
And uh, then at the end of the day, they left and they came back. And the next day, they asked the groundskeeper, so is everything okay? And they were so happy. They said, oh, we slept. We haven't slept that good in years. And they never had trouble again. So on a scientific level or, or just a physical level, the conscious cell is a very auspicious vibration which eradicates any negative influences. It purifies the atmosphere. So my answer would be in the beginning, we let everyone know we're going to worship the Lord. Everyone go away. And it's the same at the end. Okay, the Lord has been worshipped. So all of you, who, anyone less than uh, Godhead is light, nescience is darkness. Where there's Godhead, there is no nescience. So all these negative uh, influences, you can, you're finished now. I don't know if that's a cop-out, but that would be my answer. It's the same it's the same message. It's like, okay, we're going to worship. Okay, we worship. The result of both is the same, auspiciousness. And anything else inauspicious is, is no more. Yes? Why did... I don't know if I heard that right. I'm not sure what he's referring to. I don't remember talking about a, a mouse. Okay, that's fine. Although one answer could be because everyone is food for another living entity. Um, he was bigger, and he was hungry. And it was the time for the rat to take a higher birth. I know so many answers. I don't know. So, who else? In it? We have a few minutes here. Endings. Anyone? Does, does, does this help? So earlier we talked about endings are scary. So my hope in this, I kept thinking, what do you want them to take away from this talk? That's important. For a speaker, you should always have a goal. We talked about goal. What do you want them? Because they're not going to remember... All the slides you showed, and they're not going to remember anything you said. What do you want to remember? And so my hope is that, first, before I tell you what I want you to remember, so, Inuleka, does this make endings less scary? That was what I was hoping you would take away. <laughs> that endings aren't endings. They're just transitions or stepping stones or new beginnings. You can look at them in different ways. But from the, I love that one picture, what really kind of, does it for me or helps is this one. You know, from Krishna's perspective, and all of you, has anyone ever has anyone in here been on an airplane? Have you ever gotten on an airplane on a rainy day when it's cold and snowy? And do you ever feel any different when you get on the airplane and go up and it's not cold and snow anymore and you can see the sunshine? It helps you to see, oh, it's not actually dreary. It's just we're separated from the sun. So this is, you know, endings are just a matter of perception. And if you alter your perception, then it's a whole different equation. Yes? I think the most challenging thing about endings, if it's when this, the young man spoke about his wife, I feel the, some regret, like for my parents, I wish I had been a better child. I wish I had some of the things I've become more like my mother that she wanted, being nicer, thinking of other people first, not always of yourself first. 
It feels like a process to me, but I, I always wish you could see me now. Yeah, I can... Just a little regret, but... Yeah. Well, I can relate. I mean, I have the same regrets. My, the first half of my life, I was a disaster, and, and my father and my mother both left their body when I was still a disaster. So now I'm hopefully less of a disaster. But they never saw that. They, you know, and so, wow, if only I had been a little better of a son and, and not made them so embarrassed. You know? Of course, I know they, they weren't. There's a lot of love there. But um, as, as he mentioned, that yeah, it was a painful thing. And, and we, these types of endings and lessons can help us to learn and be different. Okay, well, I'm not going to repeat that. So now, with those people in around me, to use your example, let me tell them. How, let me you know, deal with them differently so I don't have that regret. Uh, but also... Because um, all you have is now. When all we have is now, but also on a spiritual level, they're eternal. And he still, he feels that relationship. And I, I know I felt that when my mother passed away I was young. Somehow I didn't understand it philosophically, but somehow deep inside I said, she's still watching me, she still knows. So whatever I did or didn't do when they were there, let me do now what I should have done then, because then they'll, somehow they'll know that. If you just you know? stay in the, the part of regret, then you don't move forward. You don't move forward. You but don't you, learn. But you need yeah. that a little bit, a little memory of that just to... Yes. So, so you watch out, you stay on the path. Yeah. Whether it's reading or, or reading yeah. the Gita or whatever spiritual, hearing the conch shell, listening to the class, chanting. It kind of... It's a deeper... You come from a deeper place. Well, and we need it, and sometimes we're not able to see that we need it. So some, some endings are forced upon us because we need to transition from one place to another, and we're not able to do it. And so it's just how, you know, you get laid off, or you get sick, or someone dies. You know, something happens in our life, and then we're forced to like, oh, life is different now. I need to look at the world differently. And so then we can, and that's part of the point of this, is that, well, if we understand that, then we can grow and, and learn and change. And some things we can see and end them because we need to grow. Some things... They have to be ended for us, and then we can we can learn and grow. Hmm? Blessing in disguise, yes. Blessing in dis- many many endings, I would argue, are blessings in disguises. So I think I've probably hit my the hour where they're going to pull me off off the um, the stage. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you, my dear brother.